everybody. Welcome to our Wednesday night equipment disciple services. We're so glad you're here joining us uh, this evening. At this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So ushers, if you could please prepare for, for that. And you know what's so amazing is that we get to come here together and we get to worship our Lord. And what's so amazing is what he's doing in the lives of his people. Last week, if you weren't here, we had our defined junior high camp. And it was crazy. It was awesome. There's like hundreds of junior hires here. But what's so amazing was what God was doing in their lives. And we get to be a part of that. And what's so amazing is that when we give to God, we can never outgive what he gives unto us. And because of, we, uh, because of those who give, can I just tell you that people's lives are being changed for all of eternity. And what a joy it is that we get to be a part of that. Now, you may be visiting us for the very first time. And if that's you, we ask that you don't feel obligated to give this evening. In fact, receive this service to help you in your walk with the Lord. Or maybe you're visiting us from another church and we want to encourage you to give wherever you regularly attend church services. But if New Hope Church is where you call home, would you know that as we give unto the Lord, we get to be a part of something great as he reaches those far from him and brings them to know his love. Would you bow your heads as we pray for our tithes and offerings? Lord, we come before you this evening, Lord. We thank you so much for everything that you're doing in our lives, Lord. And what a joy it is that we get to see people be changed and transformed by you. And so, Lord, as we give our tithes and offerings, Lord, we do so knowing that you're going to take it and multiply it so that people's lives will be forever changed by you. And what a joy it is that we get to partner with you in your plan to reach those far from you. So, Lord, I pray that you bless the hearts of those who give and let them know that we get to do something great right now as we get to be witnesses of what you're going to do in the lives of your people. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So we get to not only learn and grow together, but in this season of summertime, because summertime, uh, things are different summertime. The number one thing that is different during the summer is heat. It is, it is like so hot. So thank you for giving because we have air conditioning. We have a building that God has blessed us with, and because of the hearts of those who give, we now have what we call air conditioning. But also with that is we have our children at home. People visit. Uh, people, uh, they come here from like the mainland so that they can enjoy the summertime. So people are visiting. People are traveling. And when we think about traveling and going from place to place, it depends on where you're coming from and going to and how long it's going to take. So if we think of destination times, if you're coming from the opposite side of the world, it may take you a day or two just of travel. And if you're uh, going from place to place, if you're stopping at maybe uh, in the uh, U.S. continental or continental U.S. from the other side of, of the world, other side of the world, and you're stopping in the continental U.S., it may take you even that much longer. It depends on your destination and it depends on what your plans are, what you plan to do. When it comes to the season of our life, we actually do not know the plans for our life. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't even know what's going to happen in the next minute or so. 
But it doesn't stop us from planning or thinking things through or at least putting together some type of goal in our lives. Now, when summertime hits, some of you might go camping. You might go fishing. You might do something on the weekend with your, your children because of work. And so you're off on the weekends. Or maybe you plan to go somewhere for a long period of time. Whatever you plan and whatever your destination is, before you even do all of that, you're going to have to think things through. Now, thanks be to God that we have him in our lives that we can go to for wisdom. But imagine if we did not have God to go to for wisdom. We could still do the things that need to be done here on this earth. We still could. We could still plan. We could still go to places that we would want to go. We could still put together goals. We could do these things. The question is not if we can do these things. The question is this. How impactful and productive do we want to be? If you want to go on a family vacation, productive means being together as family. If you're going on a business trip, being productive means you're doing something that can increase your business and increase your influence or increase your dollar income for your business, the bottom line. So it all depends on what your goal is. As a believer, there is one goal in mind, and it's our relationship with God. It's developing this relationship with Him. You and I have been given an honor and a privilege to be in a relationship with God. Sometimes we don't see it that way, but that's okay because we're learning and growing in our relationship with Him. But because of that relationship, God gave us something that is unlike anything else that has been invented. And it is a thing called prayer. I know some of us will pray different types of prayers. We'll pray, God, help me. We'll pray, God, thank you. We'll pray uh, uh, prayers that have such deep significance that we don't let anybody else know that we're praying about these things. Some of us have a prayer journal. We'll write things down. Some of us put our prayers in our Bible if we're doing devotions. Some of us will write down our prayers in our devotional time. But nonetheless, this thing called prayer is something that is common to the believer. And because it's common, sometimes it can be taken for granted that we have prayer or that we can pray to God. In this series that we're in, we're talking about the disciplined path of prayer, having this, this prayer life. Because without the prayer life, how do we stay not only connected to God, but how do we accomplish and become who God is creating us to be? Now, in Matthew chapter 6, in fact, you can open your, open your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives his disciples a way to pray because they asked him pretty much out of everything that Jesus was doing, all of the miracles and, and everything that Jesus was accomplishing, they asked him, teach us to pray. And when they said to Jesus, teach us to pray, it's almost like they were saying, out of everything you do, Jesus, there's just this one thing that stands out among everything else. And it is how you pray. And because they asked Jesus to teach us to pray, Jesus made a simple and gave a simple response in how to pray. And when Jesus gives this response, what he wasn't saying is, you must pray in these exact words because if you don't, and if you don't, then your prayers will be hindered. What Jesus was saying is he's saying, pray like this, in this manner, this kind of template. And when he started, 
He said this, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then the end is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's kind of like the doxology, the end of it. And when Jesus gives them this, this way to pray, it changed everything about the believer's life. Because not only did they have a way to connect with God, there was also a way to build their relationship with God. Because it was no longer built upon the things that you do. It was built upon who God is and who we are in Him. And it's out of our being with God, now we're able to put things into action. It's not the other way around because how many of us as we grew up, we thought if you behave, then God would accept you. We thought as we grew up, the more well you're behaved or the, or the more good things you do, the more chance you get into heaven, the better chance you have to go to heaven. So we would try to do good things. The problem with that was growing up, we did bad things. And it was bad things almost as automatic as breathing. So if we had done 20 bad things, we had to figure out how many good things do we need to do in order to wipe out the bad. And the problem with that is there is no measurement to bad and good. So when Jesus brings this prayer, what he's doing is he's letting them know that your relationship with God is not based upon your behavior. Your relationship with God is based upon his behavior for God is good. And because God is good and because he lives in us, we want to do good because we have this relationship with him. We don't have to do good to have this relationship with him. We want to do good because of this relationship. And because of that, wanting to do good, Jesus gave this prayer and he says, this, this prayer right here begins with your relationship with God. It's our Father. So in this series that we've begun a couple of weeks ago, that's what we've learned, that this prayer that Jesus gave was all about our relationship with God. This path to disciplined prayer is how God created us to be. It, it takes discipline to pray. Sometimes if you, if you have a, a certain routine that you go through, let's just say you get up in the morning and you pray to God, or before you go to bed, you pray to God, or maybe before your meals, you pray to God. It's, it, after a while, it doesn't require much discipline. It really doesn't. You know when it requires the most discipline? Is when you don't want to pray. That's where discipline is most needed. Discipline is not needed for the things you want to do. I don't need discipline to eat ice cream. I, I absolutely need no discipline to eat ice cream. It's, it's, I, can, I can eat ice cream in my sleep. I shouldn't, but I, I can. Maybe you have a favorite food. It doesn't require discipline for that. It doesn't require you discipline to yell at people. It doesn't require much discipline to do the things you want to do. But it does require discipline. Discipline is required. For the things we don't want to do but we know is necessary for our life. And prayer as a believer is absolutely necessary. When God created us, he created us with the ability to stay connected to him. From the, from, from, I mean, he thought of everything from the details of how we are to function as a human being to how we would stay connected to him. Regardless of how, of how we feel, prayer still allows us to stay connected to God. But it takes discipline 
to pray when we don't want to pray. And when you walk the path of a, a prayer life, it requires discipline. And we need to learn discipline. Next week, we have our worship night. And let me just tell you a little bit about our worship night because the theme is freedom. And when you have freedom in Jesus Christ, you're not worried so much about the things that you do. You're, you're more concerned about who you're becoming in him. So next week is our, our, our worship night. And part of our worship night is also to, to bring to God us, who we are. That we are, as the Bible says, we are now a living sacrifice. And we are to be holy and acceptable unto him. So we come before him. So on July 2nd, which is the day before our worship, uh, many of us will be fasting. And, you, and the reason why I'm letting you this know, uh, the reason why I'm telling you this is so that you know uh, the time frame on which to, if you want to, it's an invitation to fast uh, from the 2nd to the 3rd. Now, the 3rd will lead in, into worship night. And the fast will lead into our worship night. And if you don't know about fasting, you can ask one of us and we can uh, give you a little bit about what fasting is. And we're fasting from food, not water, okay? We still need to drink water, but we're fasting from food. And the reason why it's food and not because some people will do like a media fast, you know, fast from TV, fast from uh, social media, fast from certain things, uh, is because there's something different about food that when you fast from food, it, 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 it affects your entire being. And when you fast from food, I mean, we eat sometimes like six times a day. And if you're a snacker like me, that's, I mean, to fast is, is, a, is a tough thing because your body is saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. So when that hunger mechanism is triggered, Hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what the Bible says. So that's why it's a food fast. And you can choose. You know your health better than anyone else. And please, you need to ask your doctor if this is healthy for you. If you have um, some health uh, ailments and you're supposed to eat every so often, then maybe what you can do is ask your doctor, is there a possibility to fast maybe one meal or something like that and devote that time that you would normally be eating to your prayer time. And so we come to God, and you can, you can fast and, and come to God with things of a personal thing. It can be uh, family things. It could be work-related. It can also be where it's ministry-related. But most of all, when you fast, it's also to hear God because that's who we're fasting to. We're not just fasting from. We're fasting to. So we get to hear God's voice together. And in this season and life, for us as a church, we're going to be not only worshiping God uh, next week, but we're, we're also praying for his presence to continue to be here and to continue to be here in our lives. And together, collectively as a church, we're going to be doing that. So it's an invitation. It's not a, you know, something you have to do. It's just an invitation, and I'm letting you know so that you can take some time to pray about it and think it through. And again, if you have any questions about what fasting is all about, you can ask uh, one of us as staff, and we can help you with that. Oh, but that's next week, and of course, we begin at 6.30 for our worship night. It's going to be a great time, and what better way to begin our summer and to continue our summer time than to be in the presence of God together as a church body and worship Him, okay? So tonight, we're going to be talking about the prayer of invitation, and if you have ever 
uh, gone to a party that you were not invited to, it's kind of awkward. It's a weird feeling. And not because you weren't invited. It's just maybe you didn't know you weren't invited. Or if a couple of your friends go out, they didn't invite you, and you see them. And you feel something. You feel like, wow, they, they didn't even invite me or tell me. And sometimes we can take offense to that. Sometimes we get hurt when that wasn't their intention. And sometimes we read into it too much. But there's something about an invitation that is very powerful. When Jesus invited Zacchaeus, actually Jesus did it another way. He said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house and have dinner. That's a different invitation. Jesus is welcoming himself. But unless Zacchaeus brings him into his house, Jesus will not go. Because Zacchaeus could have said no. Zacchaeus could have said, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable with you at my house because, you know, I know how you are and you're a very loving and compassionate person. You're very holy. I'm not. And so I, I can't, I don't know if I want to bring you over to my house. Part of the reason why Jesus invites himself in that way is because he wants us to know that he always wants to come over. He's just letting us know, I, I always want to come over to your house. Yeah, but I, I, you know, my house isn't clean. It's not ready. You know how we are with people. It's like, oh, can I invite them over? It's not clean yet. Jesus is on the side of, I'm not concerned about how clean your house is. I just want a relationship with you. So he's letting Zacchaeus know, I, I always want to be included in your life. I always want to be there. Zacchaeus, know that the invitation is always there for me to come to you. It's always there. I just need you to give me the answer. I just need you to open the door. That's all I'm asking, Zacchaeus. But I'm extending an invitation for me to come over to your house. And if you think of a house, it's likened to our hearts. That our hearts are filled with junk. It's filled with dirt. It's filled with mess. And Jesus still invites himself over to come to our hearts. He still wants to be there. Even though it's messy, Jesus still wants to be there. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, it is incredible that he uses this phrase in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is when you pray to God, invite heaven to come here on this earth. Invite God to invade our life. Like bring him here. Because in heaven... God's will is being done. But on earth, his will is not always being done. I mean, just take a look at our world. It's not a perfect place. God's will is not always done. So when Jesus says, no, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is saying, here's the invitation. And when it comes to prayer, he gives us a certain amount of responsibility. Because if you want to know our responsibility when it comes to prayer, it's basically wanting to know who God is, that there is, a, there is a certain responsibility that God gives to us. And it is often believed that when it comes to prayer and God doing whatever he wants to do, it's almost like why since pray if God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to do? Why should we even pray? 
But God doesn't see us as, you know, like chess, there are pawns, you know, the different pieces. The pawns are almost like the, the, the ones you sacrifice so that you can get the big boys out there. And the different, uh, you know, the rook and the bishop and the queen and all of these pieces out there that you're, you're using the pawn just as a quick sacrifice. God doesn't use us that way. He doesn't see us that way. God sees us more than that. God sees us as responsible people. And he gives us great responsibility. You and I are responsible for inviting his kingdom to come onto this earth, into this world, so that his rule can be here on this earth. It's an incredible part of the Lord's prayer that may your kingdom come and your will be done. Like, who else is going to invite God's kingdom to come to rule here on this earth? And no one else is given that responsibility. You and I, as believers, are given that responsibility for his kingdom to come on this earth. And not just on this earth, but for our very own lives. That, to me, is a great responsibility. See, God's responsibility is for his will to be done, for, for him to bring his kingdom so that great things can happen here on this earth, just like how it is in heaven. Our responsibility is to invite him to come in. And if you want to take some notes, we're going to look at three things that this prayer life does when it comes to the prayer of invitation. And the first thing is very simple. It's actually to invite the Lord into our life. And we may have done that and we see it as salvation, that we invited the Lord to come into our life. But it's more than that. It's every single day when we pray to the Lord that we're saying, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, in, as it is in heaven. God, I need your kingdom to come. Like we're, we're calling upon the kingdom of God. That is a big thing. That's a great responsibility. And he leaves that up to us. And so when we invite the Lord to come in and we invite the Lord to be in our lives, we're saying, I want you included. I remember growing up, whenever we did something wrong, because we knew about God. We would go to Sunday school. You know, we would learn about Jesus. They had these uh, boards that they would stick Jesus on, and, and they would talk about Jesus. So we knew a little bit about Jesus, but all we knew of is if we did something bad, he will forgive us. But if we do something bad, we might also be punished. Because we used to read those black and white tracks. They used to give us these paper tracks. And we would see God without a face. And then the devil. And then people burning in hell. We would see the fire and then people screaming. So it's kind of traumatic for a four-year-old just watching, you know, looking at those. We saw it as comics. But that was our mindset. So we thought that you can, you can go wrong when it comes to your relationship with God and doing things that are wrong. See, we don't have it in us or enough in us to do great things, we need to invite the Lord to be in our lives. It's not just salvation. It is every single day because we, by sin nature, will revert and default to our sinful nature. It started way back in the book of Genesis. So now we have this nature about us that always reverts back to the old. We have to, with the power of God, always continue to move into this new life. And so without this prayer of invitation, without bringing the Lord into our lives, we don't have the power to do so. That's why in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus himself says it, that here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will he do? I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What Jesus is looking forward to is sitting down and talking story with us. That whenever we invite him in, he's, he's always willing and ready 
to come in. He says, here I am. I'm right outside of the door. All you need to do is let me in. Jesus does everything possible to meet us at the front of our door. And all he asks is that we open the door so that he can come in. God will never force his way into our lives. He is, he is very compassionate. He's gentle. He will never make us do anything. He just waits for the prayer of invitation to come in. Sometimes what happens is, and I've done this before, where I will do something that is not good, and I'm, I'm now in the consequences of the decisions that I've made, and then I cry out to God. I'm like, okay, you're outside the door. Oh, good thing you're outside the door because I'm going through this hard time. So if he wasn't outside of the door, my goodness, I don't know what I would do. And so now I cry out to God because of all the things that I'm going through. And Jesus comes in. But at that point, it's not sit down, talk story. It's now sit down and problem solve. So although it's a prayer of invitation, what we're inviting Jesus into is just as important as who we're inviting Jesus to be with. Because it's up to us. Whatever we invite him into, he's, he knows what we're going through. So he'll come in with, okay, I want, to, I want to bless you. And I want you to live the life that I promised you to live. I want you to be that person. So he's going to do things and even create in us newness. He's going to give us new vision. He's going to give us a new heart. But unless we invite him in, he's not able to do that. He will continue to stand at the door of our hearts and knock. I think some of us have heard that invitation. We heard him knocking at the door, and sometimes we've ignored him. But he still stands there. He waits patiently, and it's up to us to invite him in. You know, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 tells us, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And that's good news because there are certain things that we go through that we need God to consume. We can't do it ourselves. We can't live this life on our own. There are certain things that we're doing, some things that are in our lives circumstances that we're going through that we need God to come in and consume that we are not able to overcome it we're only victorious because of him so that consuming fire when it comes in it burns out everything that is not of God that's the purification process that's the that's the silversmith refining the silver it's burning out everything that is impure so when that consuming fire comes in he wipes away everything that is not of him and if we don't invite him to our everyday life, then God's will in our circumstances is forfeited. We actually forfeit God's will in our circumstances if we don't invite him in. We miss out on his promises. See, we're responsible to invite God in. That's our responsibility, and he awaits that, that invitation. And it's not the other way around. It's not God's responsibility. It's ours he offers that. He, he, he lets us know that I am always available. I always want to come over. You ever had someone who growing up always wanted to come over? And, and we often say, you know, as a respect to other people, don't, don't overextend your invitation. Like you invite someone over to your house and then they stay till like 2 in the morning. You're like, oh, I got to go work. You don't know how to tell them, go home. It's... It's a difficult thing. You just never invite them again. 
So if you went to someone's house one time and you stayed late and you thought you had a good time and they never invited you back, I don't know if they had a good time. Maybe you did. The invitation that God gives to us is a personal invitation. And he's saying, I really want to spend time with you. The good news is that from the fall of man to where we are today, as God gives us responsibility to invite him in, we may see our lives as hopeless. We may see our lives as helpless, that there's, there's nothing to look forward to or there are dreams that are crushed or sometimes even useless or worthless. We may look at our lives in that way, but the Bible teaches us differently. The Bible teaches us that we are redeemed, we are renewed, we are people who have hope, we can expect victory. But this only happens when we pray a prayer of invitation. And that happens through faith. If we rewind the tape all the way to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, it tells us that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, this one assignment was a major one for mankind. This one God-given assignment was a big responsibility for us to take on. God gave mankind the responsibility as to what would take place here on this earth. And we blew it. Like we messed it up big time from the very beginning, like the first thing. Have you ever read the book of Genesis? And then when, you know, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit, you thought, wow, like first test, you miss out. Like nothing really happened. You didn't even have kids yet. Life wasn't even that hard yet. But you already disobeyed God. And then now we have suffered the consequences. That was a big responsibility to take care of the earth. Rule the earth. Make sure that you do something good with it. We cannot even fathom the possibilities of what could have taken place if there was no sin. What possibilities awaited us? The great things we could have accomplished. I mean, we see great things in our world today that are accomplished. Imagine without sin. Imagine if we were perfect human beings. But not only did we lose our relationship with God and that, that relationship was severed, we also lost the responsibility to rule or the authority to rule responsibility and responsibly. If we don't, if we don't have this connection to God, how, how do we rule responsibly? How do we do anything responsibly unless we invite the Lord to come in? You know what we'll, we, we'll base everything on? We'll base everything on if we do things good or it sounds good, or if it's correct. So we'll base everything on perfection and performance to give us an idea of if we're being responsible. And parents know this. If you're a parent and your children grow up, you base how good you are as a parent by how well your children are behaved. That's, that's how we do it. And if our kids are, you know, well-behaved, it makes us feel like, oh, we're doing good as parents. Look at that. And if our kids do bad, it's like, oh, man, I'm... What am I doing wrong? That's how we feel as parents. You know what gives me great comfort? Is to know that God is the perfect parent. And look at all his kolohe kids. That's all of us. 
Yeah, parenting has a lot to do with it, but so does the freedom to choose. And we all have the freedom to choose. God wanted us to choose to rule responsibly, but we didn't. I mean, we, we even see it around our world today. You know, there, there's, there's the different debates about climate change and there's other words for it, global warming and all of these different things. And if we are to take care of this earth, just go down to the beaches sometimes and just look at all the rubbish at the beach or the islands of plastic in our ocean. Are we taking care of what God gave us responsibility for? And, and that's the environment. Imagine the environment of our hearts. He's saying that's, that's also your planet. That's where you live. This is your body. Everywhere your body goes, you live. So he's saying that there, whatever happens on the inside, I got to be invited into that. Your homes, your family, your relationships. Because we all want peace and we want comfort. But unless the Prince of Peace is invited in, it doesn't happen. In the book of John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 it tells us that we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So we know that there's an enemy. So if we know that there's an enemy, how do we live in a world that is controlled under the evil one? How do we gain back that authority? Because not only did we miss out on the opportunity to responsibly rule the earth, we also gave that responsibility over to the devil. We, we exchanged our life for the life that he now sometimes rule over us. And now there's certain areas that he controls in us. It's like a fish that bites that bait, and now the hook is in that, in that fish, and the fish doesn't even know it, and he's swimming around, just cruising. Hey, brother, how are you doing? I'm just cruising. Hey, you got a hook in your mouth. I can't feel anything until the fisherman starts yanking him. He's like, uh-oh. Now he's hooked, and now he's stuck. He can, he can fight all he wants, but do you know what will happen and what the fisherman is doing? The more the fish fights, the tired, the more tired he gets. And that's exactly what the devil does for us. He just hooks in and we bite. He just tires us out. And we think to ourselves, then what is the hope? Then how do I, how do I get out of, the, out of this? Because the responsibility over us and over this earth was never intended for the devil. It was intended for us. And even till this day, we as mankind, we as human beings, we, we still contribute to the messes that take place in our world. But here's the good news. Jesus gave us a way to once again rule responsibly. Here's the second thing we can do, and we're going to go through this in the, the last point. To repent, refocus, and run the race. That we repent, we once again refocus. It's like we, we have to once again get vision for our life and then run the race. Because God set for us a race for every single person. He, we all have a running lane to run forward in. And God says, this lane is for you. Run your race. Because there are two areas that contribute to havoc in this world and, and the, 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 the difficulties that we go through in, in this world. It's our sin that we continue to commit. And it's Satan's quest to destroy mankind, both spiritually and physically. Mostly spiritually. 
He loves breaking up relationships, families, homes. He loves killing dreams. He loves, he loves destroying destinations. He, that's what he loves to do. But then Jesus shows up and God lovingly shows us once again that he has plans for us. That he provides hope and a way to once again restore his kingdom here on this earth. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. Jesus began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You know what Jesus was saying? He's saying you're no longer victims of sin. You're no longer victims of the fall. You're now victorious because of what I'm about to do. Then I'm going to go to the cross so that you would be able to repent, change the way you think, and run your race, refocus, and start running the race that I set before you. Jesus shows us and continues to show us what the kingdom of God is all about. And when Jesus heals, he shows us what happens when the rule of God enters a situation that seems hopeless. That's what healing is all about. That God is able to speak into a situation where he rules over. I don't know why he doesn't heal everyone. I really don't. But he has the healing power. Jesus is our healer. When Jesus gives us the wisdom that is required to overcome any situation, then what Jesus is doing is he's putting into action the power of God and his rule into our lives. We just need to walk it out. It's amazing that when God gives us wisdom, it's much easier to walk it out versus trying to figure it out on our own. See, Jesus is, is well-known, well-known for bringing us the love of God. He's well-known for that. For God so loved the world that he gave who? His one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is well-known for that. But Jesus is also well-known for, for confronting demonic spirits. He's well-known for that. Jesus is well-known to change the trajectory of someone's life that was destined for hell to now being with him for all of eternity in heaven. He's very good at that. But it's our responsibility to repent, to turn from that way, refocus our life, and then to run the race that he set before us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 tells us that he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I imagine that the forces of hell has like all of these unbelievable weapons. And they're pointing the weapons at us as believers. Jesus walks in and he just, well, I'll take that, I'll take that. And they, they have no authority and they can't do anything because Jesus just unarms them. The Bible says it like this, no weapon formed against you shall, shall prosper. Why? Because Jesus walks right in and he says, man, I'm going to disarm you, I'll disarm you, I'll disarm you. And he put them to shame. Not only did he bring us victory at the cross, he passed that authority on to us. That authority that we have over the devil now. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, Mark is putting together all of the things that Jesus is doing. And he's saying, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. 
Now, what Jesus isn't saying is the literal go get a snake, and if it bites you, you're good. You're fine. Go drink some poison. See how, see how strong you are. It's not what he's saying. He's saying there are demonic spirits, and there are spirits that oppose you, and you feel it every day. It doesn't come in the, you know, like the movies, it looks scary, like, and, the, and, and growing up, the devil had the, the, the horns and the pitchfork, and, and it was always red. Like that, we, we, we tend to think that that's what it is, but that's not. We, we, are, we are surrounded many times with different types of spirit that try to attach itself to us. A spirit of anger, spirit of frustration, jealousy, distrust. And we have all of these spirits trying to get at us. God says, you, you have the authority over these spirits. They can't harm you. But you have to be the one to take initiative and turn from your ways and change. It's up to you. Jesus gave us that same authority that he had when he overcame death and the grave. Same authority that raised him up. Same power that brought Christ back from the grave is now given to us. It's called the resurrection power. That's, that's yours to own. That's our authority that we have. So whenever there's something in your life that you feel like, well, this is not going well, you have the authority to repent, to refocus, and run your race. You have the authority. It's your choice. It takes discipline to choose that. Why? Because our feelings don't want to, and the only way we can go against our feelings is if we have discipline. Discipline is doing something you don't want to do knowing that it's good for you. So discipline is to do the things you know you need to do when you don't want to. That's why discipline and disciple come from the same root word. A disciple of Christ follows Jesus not when they want to. A disciple of Jesus follows Jesus when they don't want to. That's what a disciple is. A disciplined prayer life is one that takes practice. It's a prayer of invitation. It's us inviting the Lord to come in. But it's our decision to take that authority back again. It's now our decision to once again own it. And God gives us that invitation. And then the last thing is to be a participant in advancing the kingdom of God. That's why when Jesus said, let your, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, hey, anybody want to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God? It's up to you. You want to be that person? You can be that person. Be a participant in advancing the kingdom of God. And we will pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. The question is, are you going to be a participant in that? Will you pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done? And once we accept this, it's now our everyday choice. You know, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, now it begins our part of participating in the kingdom. It's not an easy thing, but it is necessary as part of our walk and our belief with God. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus says, you know, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, now it's your responsibility to advance the kingdom, to share the gospel with the world around you, wherever you may be. Are you going to participate in advancing the kingdom of God? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he said, Go therefore, or therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
He's telling us, you, you got to go. This is, it's part of advancing the kingdom of God. It's, it's a part of this prayer of invitation that if you're going to ask me to come into your heart and into your life, I don't just stay in one place. We're going to go and get other people. See, what Jesus does so well is he brings healing to a person, not so that they stay in the bed from which they were paralyzed. He tells them to get up and walk. In other words, you have the power now under my authority. Now let's go do something with it. You've been healed. Now let's go do something with it. So when Jesus comes into our life, we are healed. We're free now to do the impossible. And he says, don't stay in the same place you were when, when I first met you. It was good that we were able to talk story. We got to sit down and dine and, and, and eat together. But we don't eat all day. We're done with the meal. Now it's time for us to go and do something about it. He says in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's saying if you can think about it as a, as a, as a target that right here in the immediate place that you're in, this is your Jerusalem. You're going to reach people here. You're going to go out into Judea, into the city, into the community that you're in. And then into Samaria, that's the, that's the different people groups, people that are not like you, people that you would not even see unless you're looking for them. You know, in the Bible says the least of these, we always think it's poor people or the homeless or those who are hungry. That which you do unto the least of these, my brethren, that which you do unto me. He's not just talking about people who don't have. The least of these are people that we don't even see or pay attention to. People at work, people at school, people that are hurting that we never pay attention to. But when there's a prayer of invitation, God gives us eyes to see exactly who he sees. He leaves the 99. He goes looking for that one lost sheep. Why does he leave the 99? Is it because he's not relational? No, it's because they're fine. It's that one lost sheep that he's looking for. That prayer of invitation is not just for Jesus to come into the sheepfold. It's for us to go out with him to look for that one lost sheep. That's the rule that he gives to us, the responsibility that he gives to us. We quicken advancing the kingdom of God when we understand that this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray wasn't just a prayer to sit and talk to God and fold our hands. It's a prayer of action. That your kingdom come, your will be done. What is God's will? God's will is that none shall perish but that all come to repentance. And his promise is not slow as some count slowness. But he's, he's patient, waiting for everyone to repent. You and I quicken the coming back of our king by advancing the kingdom of God. That's a prayer of invitation. It's a responsible prayer. And that prayer that we pray, it, it doesn't come through our zeal or our, our, our meeting together, the skill or talent that we have. Although important, the, the advancing of the kingdom comes through our acknowledgement of His will being done on this earth. The victory of the cross, the, the presence of God and the power that He's given to every single one of us. The power belongs to God. The privilege belongs to us. That, that's, that's what he gives to us, the responsibility 
to pray this prayer belongs to us. So until Jesus comes back, God has given us, even still, once again, great responsibility to go out and reach people for Him. Not just sit back and watch the world go by, watch the news and say, oh my goodness, this, this world is falling apart. God has given us the responsibility to do something about it. He has given that responsibility to no one else. He has not given that power to no one else. He gave that to us as believers to do something with it. And he probably has already spoken to us what we can do to advance the kingdom of God. What an honor it is to have this prayer of invitation, to be a part of God's inviting and invitation to other people, to reinstating this partnership with God, to once again have that authority and rule over mankind, not with the authority of a position, but with love and humble service. That although we may see mess in the world, God is looking forward to reversing the fallen condition of this world and bring it back once again into God's perfect order. We know it as heaven. But Jesus said it well. You don't have to wait till then. Pray in this way that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let that be our prayer. I'm going to ask you to... to bow your heads for a moment and we're going to pray Heavenly Father this prayer of invitation is not just so that we can have this connection with you or, or pray to you it's really a way for us to once again take back responsibility or, or, or ownership once again of who you're making us to be not only have you given us access to yourself, but you've given us authority. You've given us a way to invite your kingdom to come and for your will to be done here on this earth. So Lord, that's what we do. We, we invite you to be in our lives every single day. It's not just a prayer of salvation, but it's a prayer that says, Lord, we want you in every part of our life so that when you speak to us, we can love on someone when you speak to us we'll be able to accomplish the things that we don't want to do but we know it's necessary and when you ask us to forgive or to ask for forgiveness or to reach out a hand that we would be obedient to you even when we don't want to especially when we don't want to because that's where discipline comes in so help us as we repent we refocus we run our race and if there's anything we need to change in us the way we think that's what repentance is. It's, it's changing the way we think and moving away from how we used to think and behave or how we used to live and head in your direction. So we repent from the things we used to do. We refocus and we now move in the direction you want us to and we will run this race with endurance because we want to be participants in advancing your kingdom. It's all about your kingdom. It's all about your presence. So we thank you once again for showing us how to stay connected to you and when we pray this prayer of invitation and we invite you in all things are possible when all things are possible no matter what comes our way we're able to overcome because of you and your spirit for you have given us the victory in jesus name we pray and we all sit together amen 
Amen. I pray that we'll continue to learn that disciplined prayer life and then let God do great things in us.